Hello, and welcome to show 23 of All Back to Bowie's. This show is called Hang On to Yourself, Living Independence. Um, in this show, we have uh, lovely uh, guest speakers. Um, as always, a wonderful Alison Peebles, who gives the provocation. Um, Robert Softly Gale, who just is fantastically funny and thought-provoking in the interview and a revisit from the wonderful Joe Clifford uh, provocative and inspiring as ever a it's a really really lovely show this I enjoyed it enormously and the audience enjoyed it enormously and you can feel I think that we're all getting a little bit um uh, demob happy as the end of the fringe approaches the audience the performers everybody's uh, enjoying um, you know the the, the, the uh, festival atmosphere it's really good fun and Jerry Campbell and Nancy Somerville are terrific musical and poetic contributions respectively so please sit back and enjoy Hang on to yourself, living independence. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. Um, and welcome to All Back to Bowie's. Bowie's. Uh, Bowie's. My name is David Gregg. <laughs> I'm Julia Tordovin. And today's show. Um... Today's show is called uh, Hang On to Yourself, Living Independence. This is, uh, Peter Arno always says, this is what the world would be like if it was organised by playwrights. Just a little bit shambolic, but lots of fun. So, um, if you remember, All Back to Bowie's began because, if you remember back in uh, March, David Bowie um, appeared in the corporeal form of Kate Moss and said, Scotland, stay with us. So we've taken him up on his offer, and we're uh, hanging out on his uh, rooftop in his rooftop guest yurt in Manhattan. As you can see, it's uh, very glamorous. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us. Um, He's not popped in yet, though. Has he? Po- has he ever popped in? David. Well, as you can hear, he's. He's having a bit of work done on his kitchen just now, so he's mostly attending to that. But um, he does occasionally. He'll pop his head round the door. We see him pop his head round the little yurty door and checks out what's going on. But we really thought it was a chance to sh- to show David Bowie what was interesting about the referendum debate, all the interesting stuff, not the boring stuff, not the yaboo, not the plan B, just the interesting debates that have come up around it. Um, so you're very welcome to be here. And uh, one other thing is every show gets podcast. That's right. Um, and you, so you can listen back to shows you haven't been to and you listen back to the bits of this one that you enjoyed uh, what we like to do though is for the podcast listeners just to give them a sense of the atmosphere um, as they're listening so for the benefit of the people on the podcast what would you say Julia there's about a couple of there's about five or six hundred people here yeah at today. least at least I push it up 800 maybe yeah and they're in, in, in some fine fine form today wearing wonderful sarongs and uh Onesies, There's a lot of gold lame in this room. Yes, it's lovely. Um, just one small bit of housekeeping. Can you stay away from the from the swimming pool at the, just just during the course of the show? And the tiger. 
Uh, yes. Um, but anyway, so we'll, we'll carry on shortly. So, but it's very good to see also so many of you here. Um, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, I can see. Hi, Hillary. That's grand. Oh, there is another house rule, actually. Uh, one, of, one of David's house rules is that no one's asked directly whether or not they're voting yes or no. If anyone wants to offer that up, that information up, that's, that's allowed, but that's generally the yeah. house rule. Is that not right? That's right. We, yeah. don't like, we don't like binary questions. But there is one crucial, crucial question that we cannot avoid. Um, it's been dividing people and it's brought a lot of argument out it's uh, some people didn't want the question even asked aye aye and uh, I think recently we had someone come out um, from undecided and, and make a decision on how she was feeling about it about yeah, this particular yeah, question yeah. But didn't it's she been, it's, it's really ripped time. it's ripped us apart and that, yeah. that question is one that we're going to have to ask you as well I'm we're going to have to ask you it and it's whether it's David Bowie or David Bowie <laughs> So we've been having a running referendum on this as we've gone through a... And unfortunately, Dave O'Max is not on the option. He's not one of the options, sorry. A, the, there was the, 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 we've been keeping a running tally as we've been going along. Um, there's, the, there was a big swing from, uh, uh, from Fiona Ferguson to Bowie the other day, which I think indicated the way that the women's vote is going. Um, but there's a hope for so a last... my vote is... There's a hope for a last-minute surge. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll find out today. So, shall we ask the question straightforwardly? Let's find out where you stand. Do you agree that David Bowie is pronounced Bowie? Two, 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 oh, 23, 24, they're all coming out. 25, 26, 27, I 28. Got two hands up two, there. Nine, that's, not, 30, 31. that's not allowed. <laughs> 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. 42. So Sarah, Sarah here is, is, is our John Curtis in the corner. <laughs> she has it all down with demographics, everything. So do you say no? David Bowie is pronounced Bowie. <laughs> One, you, you think. Bowie wins again. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. We'll find out. Oh. We have one don't know. Any other don't knows? Any others? No. Don't do. Spoil your ballots. Um, I'm not, yeah, so we're going to find out tomorrow what the final... What it the final number really is? It's really coming close. It's really, really exciting. We're going to know the answer. <laughs> there's also, by the way, there's on Monday there's a service of reconciliation at the um, <laughs> where we can those of us who are Bowie and Bowie can get back together and listen to the albums. So, um, oh, we're all in a rowdy mood today. It's good. Um, there's something that we're getting everyone to do um, yeah. at every show and that is um, to complete a sentence or a couple of sentences for us which, um, which are on the theme of the show each day and those sentences are being collected for the, the National Library of Scotland um, is that, that's Yeah, and also at the end of the show, so we ask everyone to complete the sentence um, so first of all find a bit of scrap paper about your person, you'll have flyers it's the Edinburgh Fringe, you can't not have flyers, you'll have bus tickets some of you will have tram tickets. Fools. Uh, you'll have a 
receipts, whatever, just some bit of scrap of paper, and and if you don't have a pen or a pencil, I'm sure that your neighbour will have a pen or a pencil. Um, and the sentence, because today's theme is living independence, so it's really exploring the idea of fighting for your autonomy, but on a personal level as much as on a political level, we were thinking we would actually do two sentences today so you can... Um, so previous sentences, for example, we've had... Uh, when we did about uh, the show about England, the sentence was England is... dot dot dot. But we also have had sentences like my doubt about my side is... dot dot dot. So today what we were thinking we, was... So we've got two sentences. Uh, the first one is I depend on... dot dot dot. And the second is I don't depend on... Dot, dot, dot. So just have a think about those throughout the course of the show and maybe things that are said will help you reflect on that. Maybe you'll just, in the boring bits, you can drift away and think about it. But I depend on dot, dot, dot. I do not depend on dot, dot, dot. And it'd be great if you could finish both. And at the towards the end of the show, we'll, we'll read them all out in a kind of impromptu uh, crowdsourced poem. I'll read as many as we can out. So it's your chance to be creative as well. So you can think about it factually, politically, straightforwardly. You can make any point you like. But I depend on dot, dot, dot. I do not depend on dot, dot, dot. Is that us? That's us. So shall we start yeah. events? We've got, um, we've got a whole host of different folk for you tonight. And first up, we'd like to invite Jerry Campbell to the stage the to start us off. Jerry Campbell. Thanks very much. I thought I'd start with a little musical nod to David Bowie when I'm here, actually. When I'm talking to my friends in London, it becomes Bowie, and that's what they insist on. Um, but this is probably my favorite David Bowie song, and it's, uh, it's got a kind of beautiful sentiment. It's written a, uh, about a newborn arriving and the parents' feelings about the newborn. Um, and I think in this context, well, it maybe turns into something else. I guess the playwrights would agree that context is crucial. So read it how you like. Shoes, 
A trumpet you can blow And a book of rules For what to say to people when they pick on you Cause if you stay with us you're gonna be pretty This old fool Don't pick fights with the bullies or cats Cause I'm not much caught at punching other people's dads And if the homework brings you down Then we'll throw it on the fire Take the car downtown We'll be hearing more from Jerry uh, later in the show. Uh, but now, every day at Bowie's, Bowie's, we have a provocation. Uh, just another way of thinking about something, another angle on things. And today, to give our provocation, I'd like to welcome the fantastic actor, director, and theatre maker, Alison Peebles. Please welcome Alison Peebles. the example of interdependence I think, David helped me on the stage um, he asked me to talk about living with independence or dependence or interdependence and I have kind of lived with all of those things as a child I was dependent on my parents for nurture, food, clothing education as a young teenager I fought against them, I wanted to be independent <laughs> As a student, I thought I was independent until I would go home for a bath or to my mum's or food or a wash-in. Well, I did live in a squat with cold running water and no bath and no heating and no, lots of mice. But um, as a woman, I've always thought of myself as independent. And then I got married and then I was told that I was his property and I was dependent on him. Well, feck that. <laughs> that didn't last long. I'm an actress, as David said, and a director. 1999, I was rehearsing a play. As it happens, it was David Gregg's play. And I was playing a character that required mm, magical, 
instant quick changes from cool, cream, calf-length linen to black PVC hot pants, fishnets, thigh-high boots on stiletto heels. Now, please don't picture me in that now. It was 15 years ago and I could rock it then. What happened as I was rehearsing, I kept falling over, and that was even before I got into the stilettos. I had this kind of iron corset-like thing around my body. My legs were numb and my arms were numb. I'd go home. I'd have to crawl up the stairs to my top flat. It was like crawling through treacle with a hundredweight of coal in my back. It wasn't tiredness. It wasn't exhaustion from the acting business, you know? It was fatigue. It was MS fatigue. I was diagnosed with MS in 1999, 15 years ago. Immediately I was terrified. I was frightened of this big black cloud of the future. What was going to happen? There was lots of questions. There was lots of things. MS is a very complex condition. No two people have the same. None of the experts could tell me how I got it. They could tell me there was no cure. They wouldn't tell me how fast it would go, what kind of MS I would have. MS has the highest rate per capita in Scotland. There are more women than men have it. They could tell me that. Um, so I was, I, I was frightened. There was two main things I was frightened of. Being stigmatised, losing my identity, who I am because of my impending disability. Would I be bedridden? Would I be blind? Would I lose the power of speech? Would I be spasming? Would I be in terrible pain? Would I depend on complete strangers? I didn't know. But the other thing I was really frightened of, perhaps even more, because I didn't really want to look into that black future, was that people in my business would find out and I wouldn't be employable. Because I'm an actor and a director, but as an actor, well, I mean, look around. I mean, look at the film, theatre, on stage, on screen. What do you see? You don't see people with disability. So any employers, casting directors, writers, producers out there, hello, look at the Employment Law, the Disability Discrimination Act, and also see if you're wanting funding, there's lots of ticks if you employ a disabled person. <laughs> so, there I was, looking into this future, and eventually I did come out after five years, and made a documentary. And then I was having to learn how to embrace the changes as they happened. I didn't want to use a stick. I kept it in my bag most of the time, but after so many falls and breaks and bumps and bruises and cuts and everything, I had to start using it. And do you know, it wasn't that bad. And I also made sure that I got really cool ones on the internet. And then after a few more years, they put a brace on my leg. I would show you, but I can't stand on one leg. Um, and that meant that I had to wear sensible flat shoes. Now that was the hardest thing actually. I had to chuck away my heels, my sandals, my Audrey Hepburn ballerina pumps. I couldn't wear skirts. I, no choice. 
That was really hard. I had to wear trainers. Trainers? Excuse me. I don't do trainers. I mean, I know there's lots of cool trainers now. But actually, do you know brothel creepers? Very good, very comfortable. Lots of different styles too. Um, but I wasn't really. I was. I was. I was frightened as well of losing my style, which was so captured in my identity, who I am. As a friend once described me as boho chic. Well, I think now I'm more Soho cheap, but um, but that was part of it. I was losing it and I had to change the way I dressed, to change the way I, as I changed the way I walked, as I used my stick, my crutch and everything. And as I embraced these changes, I, I realized that, as I said before, it wasn't, you learn to grow and live with it. And sometimes there's good things happen. I've got a blue badge. I got into the Bank of Scotland car park because I pleaded disability and helped me. So there are some advantages, not many, but... Um, so it's made me think this thing about what is dependence, what is interdependence, what's independence? I moved my flat last year. I've, I've got a flat with a lift now. And I've got a lovely balcony. And for the first time ever, I grew sunflowers from seeds. And I, did, I thought sunflowers came on wee pots about that size. And these things just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And now they're five feet. Some of them are taller than me. And because of, they were so tall, I had to put a cane beside them to hold them up and hold them straight so, so they didn't bend and break in the wind. But I didn't go, oh, what a shame. Those poor sunflowers, look, they need a stick. Oh, that's awful sad. I didn't look at my geraniums and go, you're great, you don't need a stick. And think, my sunflowers are dependent. I just look at their big yellow heads and their big tall, tall stems and they make me happy and they make me proud. So, independence. Dependence, interdependence. I have learned to live with all the changes and I've always considered myself as independent. And I never even thought when the question came up that I would vote anything other than yes for independence. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that now. That's kind of my swerving things, I don't know. Anyway, and I thought about what does dependence mean? And I thought, well, if you have dependents, you maybe have children, and they're dependent on you for food and clothing and love, but you raise them to let them go. You educate them to let them go. Interdependence. I'm interdependent on my friends, my family. They give me love and help, and I hope I give them something back. I'm interdependent on my on nurses, doctors, OTs, social workers, the NHS. They support me and I support them. Independence. That's not a big black cloud of fear. It's not made up of there are lots of little questions that keep coming up, but it's nothing to be afraid of. You will make the changes and you will take charge of making the changes. And you just have to take charge. Thank you.
thanks for thanks very much thanks Alison that was brilliant um, Grant uh, so to carry on this discussion and to take on some of the themes that Alison has uh, opened up for us I'd like to welcome to the stage please um, actor uh, writer and campaigner Robert Softly Gale so Robert yeah that'd be great Good. And One, two. also to One, discuss two. this playwright, uh, performer, um, and campaigner, I don't know, but certainly playwright and performer, Joe Clifford. Welcome, Joe Clifford. Great. Um, now let's go. Have we got, is the radio mic working, Joe? Uh, that's right. if you can share yeah. that. Yeah. Do you, you need more space? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that would have been good. <laughs> Could have broken the other leg. <laughs> Is that working? Yeah. Yeah, well, great. Okay. If we pass the radio over so that we can share. Oh, can, do you want to share that one as well, the radio? Great. Grant, welcome. Um, so I guess, first of all, uh, each of you in different ways, uh, Alison has explained how she has had, uh, has had to sort of struggle and push at personal autonomy and personal independence. And each of you in different ways has had to do that. Um, uh, perhaps if we could start, uh, Robert, with you. A, you're... Uh, um, an, an actor performer um, living with cerebral palsy, but you've also been involved in campaigning for uh, access rights. Um, would you perhaps begin by telling us a little bit about the campaign which you recently won um, in Glasgow about access to clubs? They all mean, I'll, I'll talk about this for the whole hour if you want me to. about a year, just over a year ago. Myself and my husband went to look at a gay club in Glasgow called the Poolands and they said we couldn't come in because I'm in a future and they've got steps and that was it, I just couldn't come in. We explained to them that I should do that at the future without any problem but oh no, there was no change in what they were saying. They eventually called the police to get to leave, even though, you know, I'm holding the violent tape. Well, <laughs> arguably, arguably. And um, so that very quickly became a case of blatant discrimination that we then took to the Sheriff Court in Glasgow. They tried to make it go on for as long as they possibly could, but eventually they discovered they didn't have a leg to stand on. Quite ironically, <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, won the case. So that was the quick version of why. I followed that because using the splendid social media, it was all on Facebook and we were able to follow it. And I do remember a somebody quite early on said, um, the Polo Lounge didn't realise they picked the wrong opponent in Robert Softly-Gale. <laughs> we, we, we said to them on the night, are you sure you want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we said yes. 
but but I suppose I, I wonder about you know you could have let that go, couldn't you? I mean, yeah. in a way, it might have probably your life might have been easier for a year Here or so. Yeah. So why? What was the impulse behind not doing that? I mean, it would have been a lot easier to let it go. And in the past, we have let it go. You know, things like that happen. Not all the time, but they happen a lot. And you have to make that choice between whether you pursue it or you carry on with your life. I guess the thing is that by not pursuing it, we're saying a lot about what isn't, isn't acceptable. So it's not as if by, by not doing it, we're doing nothing. We're actually making quite a bold statement about, what, about the treatment and that that was okay. So, right. So it wasn't really a curse for us. We had to make the statement that it wasn't okay. So that was why. So that so just to tease that out, yeah. the, the cost of the cost of doing something, you're actually not weighing that against nothing. You're weighing that against the cost of Completely. not doing something. Completely. Because the next time you go to a popular club and they say you can't come in, what, what do you say to that? Joe, you you're you're um you've recently spoken uh you spoke here in the Bowie earlier on and I know you've spoken at national collective events about your journey, which begins as being a, both a, a, a male playwright and a father in Scotland, and then transitioning to being a transgendered woman, but also continuing to be a playwright and making a career on the stage as well, uh, stepping up onto the stage. Um, would you just sort of outline for the audience, I guess, the way in which that, that journey's gone for you, but also, again, just I'm interested in this sense of having to push against to find your space, having to push against the world to find your space. Well, this is a long story too, but um, it started when I was 12. Uh, I was at boarding school, my mother came down to see me, I was getting confirmed on the Thursday, I saw her on the Wednesday, uh, and I was going to see her on a Thursday, but um, I didn't because she died in the night. And my father told me, and he did his best, dear love, to, to look after me during that day, but then that evening he took me back to the boarding school and he left me there. And that was a harsh lesson. That there is nobody, somehow, that you can rely on at certain crucial times in your life. And then, whoa, well, then I discovered I wanted to be a girl when I was 14. And I could tell nobody. It was far too unsafe. Until when I was 21, um, I met uh, this wonderful woman, Sue Innes. And it was love at first sight. And I told her, and that saved my life. Uh, but then we had children, and we tried to live out a life as if feminism had happened. We shared childcare. We did everything we could. And then she died uh, after 33 years of a brain tumour. And so, and the other thing that happened was that in 1985, I wrote this play called Losing Venice, which was unlike anything that has ever been seen before or since. And since then, I've written another 80 plays that are all unlike anything that any has been... Yeah, so proud of all that. And then, I, then she died, and I was on my own, and I had to transition and start, stop living as a man and start to live as a woman on my own. And then I had open-heart surgery and had to recover from that on my own. 
And now, at this moment, uh, I am acting in a play that I wrote myself, uh, which portrays a transgender Jesus. And as far as I know, no one has ever thought of doing that either. So I have some experience in all this. And, but come along and see the show. The last show is tonight. <laughs> Half past ten. Uh, uh, St. Mark's Church, Castle Terrace. The Queen of Heaven. Is that Jesus? What's yeah. it? The Gospel according to Jesus, Gosh. Queen of Heaven. Brilliant. Um, I've been uh, just picking up on that, uh, that idea of the transition phase or the t transition period, um, Joe. I've been thinking a lot, and all of you really, I've been thinking a lot in the last few years about my own journey as a woman, really um, living in capitalist patriarchy and my journey to having a voice, an autonomous voice within a structure in, or a system which doesn't wish me to have that autonomy or doesn't wish me to have that um, that strength and that confidence. And um, I've been thinking about that process and that journey to get into a place where I feel like I do have a good connection with, um, with that voice that I have. Um, but how that's a constant process, it's not, it's not, it's not a destination, and how through, throughout my life for the rest I will be constantly having to consider the ways in which I'm having to relearn things. I think thinking about the process I've been on, I had to unlearn a lot of ways in which I was conditioned. And that is a constant process and I'm constantly having to reaffirm myself and remind myself of the ways in which I'm not necessarily uh, encouraged to, to embrace that, um, that autonomy. And so um, I was interested in hearing a little bit um, from each of you about a process that you've been on to, to finding autonomy or to finding independence in that way. And, um, and perhaps, perhaps also what the, um, what the elements are that you come across in your day-to-day -day, day -day lives that, that you have to fight against in order to maintain your sense of autonomy or independence that you that you have. Maybe maybe Joe, you might may, might start us off thinking about. Well, I, I had to find it, or I'd have died. I mean, it's very simple. I, w I would be dead if I hadn't somehow find the, found the strength to keep going. Uh, in my daily life, wow, wow. I mean, um, there was a time when, whenever I walked out my front door. Uh, people would feel absolutely at liberty to say the vilest things about me. Uh, and so again, you have to develop a certain strength to, to deal with that. My professional life, uh, I'm pretty marginalized. I would say, I mean, this show, for instance, uh, not a single Scottish theater writer has taken the trouble to come and see my present show. Uh, I think that says a lot about the kind of Kind of passive discrimination, passive transphobia that that happens in this world, in this culture, and so yeah, I have to, I have to constantly <laughs> assert myself as gently and as fiercely as I can, because the world is a hostile place, as well as a place full of beautiful friendship and beautiful support, and somehow you have to, yeah, walk a narrow path just to be aware and just to just to keep going but i you know i love it actually i lead a very very wonderful life I and part of it is being here 
and and I'm interested in that what you what you say about having to engage with it as aggressively as uh, you know as forthright as and confidently as possible. Has that been a change? Has that been a, a change in you over the last? Well, yes. I mean, when I first put on this play, there were hundreds of demonstrators outside the, the street, thinking I was blasphemous. They carried placards that said, "God says my son is not a pervert." when challenged as to why they were so angry about a play they hadn't seen, they said, you don't need to go near a sewer to know that it stinks. So, Christ, you have to be really strong. Uh, and I've learnt to be strong. At that time, I, I was terrified. I thought it was maybe my fault. But no, God. And I think, yes, no, that's important. I was going to say something about Scotland, because I think Scotland is at a similar stage. Scotland is suffering a lot of abuse. Scotland has been abused for many, many centuries. And the time has come for Scotland to stand up and have the courage to discover herself. Um, uh, thanks. Uh, there's something I'd like to link in maybe to something that you were saying, um, Robert, about, um, about what you've lost, what you might have lost from the future by not making the decisions that you made in your campaign. And so, uh, it, well, in that moment, really just saying, you know, fuck this, I'm going to deal with it right now. Am I allowed to have said that on the podcast? Oh, well. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Say whatever we like. That'd be great. Um, so, yeah, I wonder, if, the, I wonder if, you, if you might pick up a little bit on, on that just, yeah, just to, to continue that idea of that transition and and um, making dis- the constant process of making of making your life in the future be- better or making it. Yeah, there was a great time when I was in school, and you know, as is the case for a lot of disabled young people, you get some get the girls lots of therapy, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, that kind of doesn't work. And so there's that constant backlog trying to work out, well, if people are constantly trying to fix you, how do you form your identity while well, that's going on? You know, how do you develop a sense of pride in who you are if people are constantly trying to make you less of what you are? Now, obviously, it's a complex issue. I'm not saying that we get rid of all all of these things, but it just makes you think, hmm, what's that about? I remember they used to spend hundreds, thousands of pounds on adaptations for me so that I could live independently. So the occupational therapist would come along and give me things that would let you pour a kettle without picking it up or spoons that would let you cut food without having to use two hands and all this stuff. Spent a fortune. At the end of the day, I can't fucking cook. <laughs> the, 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 there's a bottom line there. And the, 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 the dog at the 2021, I realised that it's much better for me to employ a PA, to pay someone else, to, you know, pay someone else £8, £9 pence an hour. They cook. And the other they keep thinking to cook, it would have taken me about four hours to do the same thing. And then four hours, I could be, you know, writing plays or doing whatever else. So this idea that independence is about having more reliance than other people sounds to me like complete bollocks. <laughs> you know? So, but that really does make you question what is independence about. To me, it's about 
I wanted to pick up on something that you, uh, for Alison to pick up on something that you started with there, Joe, if that's all right. And it's something that you also mentioned as well about when um, you found out that you had MS, um, a fear about losing your identity. And you were just mentioning there about about how, about your identity and how how that was formed and how how you had to struggle to to identify yourself, identify your own self. I wonder if there's anything in response to what we've been saying in terms of like the process and and dependence and interdependence in terms of our everyday, uh, in terms of your everyday existence that that um, has affected your identity now as it is from that point where you were looking ahead into the future and thinking what your identity might become when you when you didn't know well I suppose the thing is that I kind of was when I was diagnosed and that was the big fear that I thought that I would then be associated all the time oh Alison Peebles oh she's got MS she's still alive you know and all that kind of thing and I, I just thought I didn't want to be that person with MS, that that was who I was identified as. Um, and of course, I mean, like now, you know, you know, now I don't mind so much, although I still don't want to be labelled. But um, I think identity is something that, you know, obviously it changes as you grow, as you mature and all that kind of thing. I've always thought of myself as independent, even when I was a child, I thought I was independent. All well, my parents didn't, um, but I, I, I've always, I kind of always sort of run my own course in a way, and sometimes that's been a negative because, you know, I remember when I was at the National Theatre in London, for instance, and I was I was working there as an actor, and I hated it. I hated the institutionalisation. I can't even say that. What's it? Institutionalisation of it. I just hated it. And the, I was there for over about two years. And the day I left, I was a, a friend of mine had been to see the show that night, and they could hear me screaming in the dressing room, going, "I'm free!" <laughs> like this. And it was like, and it was like, well, that blotted my books with the National Theatre forever. I've never been back there. Um, but I. You know, I kind of, I kind of made, I've, I've always made kind of awkward decisions, and I've always kind of, and I don't, I don't really know how I make decisions, but I make decisions because I think, oh no, that's interesting, or that's not interesting, and it's about who I am, and I suppose it's all about my identity, and it's, um, I suppose in a way, I've always been sort of slightly, not avidly a nonconformist, but I've kind of slightly been, I don't like being put into a box and, and I've never been conventionally good looking or or whatever so when I was a, a younger actress I wasn't your ingenue type I always I used to always you know I'd always given the character roles even then that I was always playing the baddies you know in the kind of character roles and always playing and I used to love it when I was asked to age up but now I'll only edge of it age down <laughs> I won't age up anymore um, uh, but um, um, yeah, so identity, and as a woman, um, I mean, I think a lot of people sort of, when you, when you say that, they sort of go, oh my God, you know, feminism is still a dirt, dirt, dirty word, and I have gone from the days of Greenham Conum, I can't speak, sorry, Greenham Common, that's not that hard to say, um, where I camped out 
and I was, uh, you know, I've always believed in feminism, but and I've and it's been reclaimed as a word. But I've actually just started thinking, I don't want to call myself a feminist anymore. I just want to call myself a human. I just want to be. I just don't think we should be saying about feminism. We should be talking about e- equality. Shouldn't even be a question. And that's something that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Let's have a bit round yeah, of applause yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose I just wanted to. So the three of you, in a way, uh, I, I was reflecting there that you're, you're all sort of mem- professional members of the awkward squad, and you're all <laughs> square, you know, star-shaped pegs trying to be banged into round holes. But the question, as as you're going on, I think it isn't. So the point you're making, I suppose, is that we should stop trying to bang people into holes anyway. You know, that that we should all be able to find our own shape. I guess I, I want to just put that rather over-tortured metaphor back at you and ask whether, um, as you reflect on the referendum debate, and I guess this is beyond yes or no for me, it's, it's, as you reflect on it, do, has your experience informed the way that you hear the debate, the way that you see the debate? And obviously, to some extent, you've already talked to Alison about where you stand, but <clears throat> I, I just wonder about, about whether there is an interrelation uh, f- f- for you in that, so I guess if we start with Alison, and we'll work along that way. Well, I, I mean, as I said, I'd, 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 it was, there was never any question about how, which way I was going to vote. I mean, somebody said to me once, um, a friend, a friend of mine, she had a friend who was who was sort of brought up in the south of England, very, very wealthy, very kind of you know the sort of home counties, wealthy, very privileged, and she was visiting her, and she said, I. I I just don't know what, what, what the problem is. I mean, why would you vote no? I mean, it makes complete sense to vote yes. And she couldn't, she couldn't understand why people would vote no. And I, I find that I can't understand. I, I don't want to argue it. I don't, I don't mean that I'm sort of going, I'm going to question you about it. Or if you, I just don't understand. If you live in Scotland or if you've come to live in Scotland, then you've chosen to live in this country with its culture, with its weather, with its all its little things, its foibles. And as Robert said earlier, you know, you take, you know, he takes charge of his own kitchen. He doesn't cook, but he can employ people to cook and he can make his own decisions. And I just... I mean, I, I agree with... I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I just want to know whether you think that your experience has informed that or whether... You know, had yeah. you had you carried on, a, perhaps you know the journey you might have expected. Do you think? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious. Did, mm-hmm. you, well, mention- I think my experience. I've obviously, I mean, my experience has formed that. Um, I, I I don't know. I was brought up. My mother, uh, my father was ill when I got ill when I was very young. My mother was a major breadwinner. She was an independent. She was always very independent, and uh, she was a working nurse all her life. And even when my father was ill, and in the 70s, my mother was not allowed to fill in her own income tax forms. She had to depend on my father. And thank God my father was a good man and he believed in equality. When I was a student, we weren't allowed into bars. Well, not all bars, but I mean, there were a lot of pubs we weren't allowed women in. And those that did, you had to be with a man. And you had to have a man order the drink for you. So I was friendly with a lot of strangers, strange men. But so all that, <laughs> all that kind of informed who I was, and that that that's 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 that feeling that I I want to be in 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 
in charge of my own decisions, whatever, however bad or good. Robert, w- would you say that your experience has reflected the way you think about the debate? Definitely. I mean, for me, I've got a lot of friends and colleagues all over the UK who are other disabled actors or artists or whatever, and let myself they rely on other people in different ways and they have PAs and so on. And then, so recently with all of the, the cuts and the austerity, all of the support that they get is really under threat. And a lot of them are looking at a life where they've had a life of being independent and they're looking at being institutionalised and looking at having a lot less choice over their lives. Now, obviously, everyone who came were not voting against the Conservatives, mm-hmm. but there's a simple fact that we'll never vote equally in Scotland and we probably never will. And if this is the one we can make sure that we never have to have these cutbacks again, then that by itself seems like a pretty good reason to me to be independent. It, it seems really, I can't get my head around the idea that we would never vote that way, but we're happy for other people could vote that way and have that impact upon us. So for you it's as much a practical question almost as a sort of moral or emotional question? Completely, completely, because... You know, the morals and the emotions can all shift and we can all debate them and we can all, you know, and politicians can always claim a moral high ground. They're very good at that, so they'll always do that. But practically, what actually happens on the ground is that there are disabled people who are being badly treated by this government, by this UK government. And if this is the one way to stop that in Scotland, then how can we not be for that? Joe, you've, um, again, you've reflected here in the, in the year, in the Bowie year before, uh, a, but, but perhaps just coming back to that, the notion, you've, you've talked about the idea of coming out and you've talked about coming into yourself and so on. I guess when you listen to the language around the debate and so on, do you, do you find, that that reflects on your experience and you know, does it give you a different perspective I guess well I think I think my, 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 my perspective is partly formed by the fact that if I lived in almost any other country in the world in many countries of the world my life would be in danger if I lived in the Caribbean uh, I would be hunted down I would not be able to go out in public if I lived in Africa I would be hunted down and beaten up and killed if I lived in Russia uh, in many countries in Latin America my, I'm, I'm just saying all this because I'm about to go to Brazil uh, where there's an extraordinarily high murder rate of transsexual women in particular and here there isn't here we have a constitution which enshrines the rights of minorities and it's incredibly important uh, it's one of the things that Scots should be proud of that we have such a fantastic record we've still got a long way to go but we have a good record on LGBTI rights Uh, And yes, I think my experience of coming to myself, of trying to recover from shame uh, and coming to Scotland in 1968 and watching this country recovering from shame and coming out from itself, coming out as itself and beginning to assert itself as a proud country, I think there's a strong parallel and it's a 
I feel incredibly fortunate to be living here. Sorry to bowl this last question at you when we've got quite a short bit of time. I'm going to ask you a last question with a very brief answer, but I think it is important. Yes or no, what's one thing that the government in Scotland or Scots could do to improve autonomy for everyone um, as, as we go forward? I, who'd like to take that first? Robert, you look like you'd, you, you're a, you, you'd have a deal. Well, just one area that we need to work on or, or keep, keep moving forward on. I think when we talk about the Equality Act, it's a very fundamental piece of legislation. It doesn't quite work because you have to have money to enforce it and you have to have resources. So it only works if you get enough resources to, to back it up personally, privately. So to me, it's about equality legislation that everyone can access and that everyone can make work for them. Great. So equal access to equality legislation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Joe? Uh, I, I don't think it's about autonomy, strangely enough. I think it's about understanding that we all belong together. Yeah, so uh, just a, an open just, thought just, for just, just hanging on to this thought that is, that is, that is it's, it's, it's a big difference politically between Scotland and England, this idea that we live in a capitalist society where it's all, everyone for themselves uh, and the individual matters. It's no, it's the collective that matters. So it's crucial, crucial value that belongs to Scotland and I think we need to nurture and value and live that out. Collectivity, Alison? I think what you said there is, I mean, Scotland has always had a reputation for being more socially conscious of welfare and everything, but the one thing I would like to think of as, as a piece of legislation is is to cut or somehow do something about all the second homes that have made villages and uh, towns in the highlands and lowlands of Scotland deserts and shutting the shops and petrol stations and all that and, and killing the communities. I'd like something to be done about that and dividing and cut the divide between rich and poor. Grand. And on that note, can you please give it up for our panel, Robert Softy-Gale, Joe Clifford and Alison Peters. Thanks very much. Uh, now, every day at Bowie's we also have a poem, uh, and today, to give the poem, we have the very wonderful Nancy Somerville. Please welcome to the stage Nancy Somerville. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, people have been talking about transition, transition to independence, and I suppose for me one of the milestones to the referendum, if not, well, hopefully to independence, was the day just over 15 years ago when the Scottish Parliament took on its powers again, um, well, some of them anyway. Um, and I remember there were lots of celebrations that day, and, and that's really what my poem's about. And one of the themes of today is about living with independence and I think it's really important to celebrate, that we remember to celebrate. A good few years ago the American communist Emma Goldman said, if I can't dance I don't want to be part of your revolution and I think that's true, it shouldn't all be about 
currency and the economy and trading, although these things obviously are, are important, but we need to celebrate. So anyway, um, 1st of July 1999, there were lots of celebrations around Edinburgh, and this poem's in four parts, the, the morning, the afternoon, the uh, tea time and the evening. So I hope you like it, and I hope... After the referendum, we all have big celebrations, not only in Edinburgh, but everywhere. So, 1st of July, 1999, 1, the morning. Old Andrew stands next to us in the Royal Mile. His chin bristles with quite a few days' growth. He's seen better days in younger days, a bit threadbare like his coat. He points up to the salt tire, flapping in a wee breeze above the city chambers. That's my flag, he tells anybody that's listening. Then, as the black watch marched past for about the third time this morning, he whips off his bonnet, stands to attention and salutes. They're all here, he says, the marines, the RAF, the army. What's everybody waiting for? Nobody answers. Who knows why anybody's here? The spectacle, the historicity, the rare sunshine. Some are tourists, no denying it. But some are locals that have had to skive off work, for it's no a public holiday. Surely some mistake. They're maybe here to see that our elected representatives keep their noses clean and know their place, like the New Haven wifeys that used to fling fish at the commissioners of the old parliament if they didn't like what they were getting up to. There are maybe even a few royalists here, but the muted response for the crowd when Lizzie, Chucky and Chuck eventually pass doesn't just reflect the culture of silence in this land. For when the street sweepers come by, pushing their trolleys and clearing up after the horses, the biggest cheer of the morning goes up, and it's obvious that people are wanting to make a point. The sweepers gear a royal wave with their shovels, and the crowd yells even louder. A voice says, I love this country. Two, the afternoon. Sitting in Milne's bar, we raise a glass to the new parliament. For some, a halfway house. For others, nothing but crumbs for the table to shut us up. And maybe for a few, a step too far. But one thing, I'm sure, something had to change. I look up to meet McCaig's piercing eyes, turn and see McDermott's interrogating glower, and the enormity of the day hits me again, when I think that they missed it by so narrow a margin. But maybe no, for your past is in your present, and the schoolwains marching down the mound with their banners and piping up a storm with Martin Bennett and the Gardens give us hope for the future, Scotland playing a tune rooted in the wealthier traditions, growing and reaching out to others with the confidence to make something new altogether. Three, reality check. Wandering round the tune, soaking in the perty mood, along with the heat and light beaming down via sky still clear o' clouds, we bump into friends that campaigned with us, marched, gret and yearned for this day. Yet we know that politicians have short memories. They're already starting to say it was them that made it happen. We come home to get changed for the night celebrations and catch the TV news. And I don't know whether to laugh or throw the shoe I'm taking off when I see that they've matched the cheers for the street sweepers with the footage of the royal carriage. Four, the big hoolie. 
In the assembly rooms, the music halls got traditional tunes, moving, fit-tapping, beautiful in turn. And there are people sitting at tables, sitting on the flare or just standing at the back. I stood next to David Steele and didn't realise he had turned round. But the night, most people want to do something, to dance and celebrate. So here across the hallway, the room swirls to the fish band. Kilts, skirts, trousers, shorts, even the odd ball gown, twirling and birling in time to the music, like a shoal turning as one in the ocean's currents. I've just met John Swinney, danced to another MSP. Hell, everybody in the room has. And I'm thinking the old Edinburgh and how all the classes used to live and work and eat, cheek by jowl, crammed along the spine of the old tune. Then Cathy Peaty gets on stage with the band and sings the freedom come all ye, with a voice so strong and true that you wonder if the parliament should really be our day job. The crowd stone and a lot join in, the others wishing they knew the words. I can hardly get them past the lump in my throat. And I think of my sons and the rest of their generation, doing in the gardens, listening to Shirley Manson and Garbage. And I know they'll be having just as good a time as I am. And I know they can kelly with the best of them. For this country has no one culture or class. We're no one generation or gender. We've got more than one language and strings to our bow. We're each year as bitsy or things, with as many moods and aspects as the weather. And as long as we remember to celebrate that, we'll be fine. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy Somerville. Yeah, so um, just to remind you about the sentences that we asked you to fill out, we're going to need to finish up in a minute, but maybe we can collect the sentences the now, yeah? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll collect the sentences, so now's your chance to finish them up, make sure you've got I depend on, I do not depend on. Um, just to let everybody know, we will be running over a little bit today, uh, so please do feel free to, to sneak out the back. Um, We'll try and keep the running over as little as we can, but uh, we'd like to cram everything that we've got in. So we have the bibbity-bobbity hat into which the sentences will get put. Um, please, uh, please, get them, uh, please get them in. Uh, I depend upon, I do not depend upon. It was your chance to be creative. Uh, just to, while we're doing that, um, to remind everybody that we are nearly at the end... Um, there is uh, one more Bowies to come, and on that day we're going to be, uh, and tomorrow we're going to be exploring, we, we've called it, it's time to leave the capsule if you dare, <laughs> in reflection of the imminence, <laughs> in the imminence of uh, the, the referendum. But no, we wanted to explore the idea of national anthems. Um, I guess there's a, a lot of people have been uh, pointing out that Flower of Scotland's a very sort of uh, belligerent English bashing anthem, which maybe won't be appropriate if we're independent, but possibly isn't even appropriate if, if we vote no. Um, so we thought we would solve that with an X Factor style national anthem sing off. So please come along tomorrow to, f to, to hear the big hitters. Battle it out in a in a national anthem sing-off. We'll have Freedom Come All Ye, Suffering from Scottishness. Some of you will know that one. Um, and many, many more. Okay, fantastic. Uh, right, so here we are. This has been your chance to um, 
take part of this. I depend upon, I don't depend upon. Uh, well, I th if, if, if Julia reads, I'll, I'll sort of hand them up and we'll get our poem as best we can. Right, are you ready, Julia? I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Very good. I depend on the love of my wife. I don't depend on the weather. I depend on the spirit of others. I don't depend on having lots of money. I depend on my awesome family. I don't depend too, on too much opera. It has its place. <laughs> I depend on the kindness of strangers. I depend on the kindness of... I don't depend on the kindness of strangers. I don't depend on Facebook. I depend on sleep. I depend on the... I depend on hearing both sides. I don't depend on Fox News. I depend on Richard Briars. I don't depend on la laundromat dryers. <laughs> I depend on the support of my loved ones, my income, my basic comforts and self-care. I don't depend on a national identity or my British passport. I depend on the goodwill of others. I do not depend on the honesty of politicians. I depend on fresh chilies. <laughs> I do, don't depend on David Cameron. I depend on love and laughter. I do not depend on conformism, conformism and unreason. I depend on common sense. I don't depend on political lies and empty promises. I depend on coffee, my family, Coffee, my family, my eyesight, all the bus service, facilities, friends, music. I don't depend on a car, a man, the weather, agreement. I don't depend on these plastic ring pools on the top of, rink of milk cartons. <laughs> I depend on my glasses. I don't depend on my partner's ability to distinguish between, between left and right when, di when dining. Oh, we <laughs> I depend on Nelson. I don't depend on state hand handouts anymore. Two more. I depend on music, but not Bowie. Bowie. I depend on alcohol. I don't depend on others' opinions. <laughs> You wrote it. Oh, still going. And one last one to finish on. I depend on a suspicion, a suspension of disbelief in the possible. I depend on the, a suspension of disbelief in the possible. In the possible. Oh, I think that's a good way to end. <laughs> 
So all of these will go in the, a wee book in the National Library of Scotland um, and we'll also read all the rest of them out on the podcast. We're going to finish up with a final song from Jeremy. Just before then, do we have AK-47? Very good. Uh, every day we have a letter um, and t- uh, for, uh, Bowie's and this is today's brief letter is uh, essentially from Egypt but AK-47, who's the performer... Egypt, Iraq. AK-47 is in uh, the show that's on after us, so if we overrun, we know it's okay because we've got him with us. Um, he's in the show Falafel, Hummus and Baba Ganoush, which uh, you're very welcome to go and see. I'm sure uh, you'd like it. It's really, 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 really good. But he told me about two weeks ago, he said he was in a taxi and, um, and he'd managed to persuade the driver to vote yes in one minute flat. And, <laughs> Well, now, now some of you that may, you know, but for us that was an exciting thing. So I thought, well, surely that's got to be worth a try. So please welcome AK-47 from Falafel, Hummus and Baba Ganoush. It's kind of nice to be in a non-comedy situation, so you're not going to depend on me to make you laugh. But if you come to the show after this, I'll make you laugh your pants off. Already working now, you can see. You know, I'm gifted. I am the one that. Anyway, so um, this is more of a letter from the mind and from the heart from the Middle East because in Egypt for 30 years, now for 30 years we had the Mubarak regime, and in that regime, which took over straight away after Sadat's assassination, we were in a state of emergency. And we were only allowed to vote yes or no. Sound familiar? But here's the kick in the teeth. You didn't know what you were voting yes or no for. Exactly. So you can imagine, you walk in, you vote. What am I voting yes or no for? Just vote. (laughs) But what am I voting for? Just vote. Okay, no. Interesting. (laughs) But uh, if I, I was also a history teacher for my sins in uh, the Middle East and I taught history you know grades 5 to 12 and I learned European history and it really struck me amazingly that you are the first country in recorded history earth is four and a half billion years old four and a half billion means that there have been civilizations whether you want to admit it or not like it or not there have been civilizations empires that existed nobody knows about them but they were here You are the first nation in recorded history that is being given a choice. Let's go back in time. You know, this is what I do with my students. Let's go back in time to that time when the English, in the words of Eddie Azar, came and said, Do you have a flag? (laughs) No flag, no country. It's ours now. Centuries have passed on, and now I hear all these debates. A lot of the older generations are the ones who have been saying no are like, you know, financial security. And this is what I always say to them. You have a population of 5.3 million. You will have the highest GDP in Europe, maybe even possibly the world. If you're going to put all the value into paper and into what lies behind vaults, then you are not a people. You are a people that rely on numbers on paper. Now, last time I checked in history, it's not papers that make the people of a nation. It's the people. All right? Yesterday night, I had an interesting conversation with a taxi driver who told me the reason why he was voting no was because Scotland will not get sovereignty, as in you will still have allegiance to the Queen and you'll still pay taxes. And I say, well, you know, just as you had in Greek democracy a person that could come and propose an idea, 
crossing one bridge at a time, cross the bridge of independence, get your independence, then once you have your independence, say, isn't it about time we, you know, reawakened, you know, the Scottish throne and the Scottish royalty and the Scottish currency? And if you don't want to have a royalty, just go back to the clan system, you know, the highlands and the lowlands and the tartans. Imagine every day is a tartan day. It'll be a colorful day. But essentially, if you vote no, it's not about like you will be seen as a traitor or some of my friends who say you vote yes. If you vote no, you're a traitor. But no, it's I understand the security and the ambiguity of the financial security. That's very understandable. But again, 20 years ago, who'd have thought Egypt would be free of Mubarak? 60 years ago, who would have thought they'd need a black man in the presidential house, but not that it made a difference? Example, Ferguson, Missouri. You know, it's just, it's a case of you are the people, you are the voice of your country. If you don't take control, the Middle East is actually going to go, wait, they, they had a chance to have independence and they didn't go for it? No, they were, they, they, you know, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. They had the opportunity to vote yes or no and get their independence, and they voted no? See, it's a beautiful moment in history. You are actually, believe it or not, and if you're going to believe the media, if you're going to rely on the media rather than talking to your own Scottish people, and by the way, it is true, you guys have been conditioned to not talking to each other. Outside yurts, outside shows, you guys have become a society that be like, I am in the matrix, I have been plugged in, I cannot talk to anyone, I cannot talk to this other civilian. Even though he looks human, I must not, I must keep going, I must keep functioning, I am in the matrix. Get out of the matrix, talk to each other, fuck Facebook, pardon the French. Fuck Twitter. Fuck all the social media. Seriously. Human beings. Flesh. Not the fucking plastic things. Have you seen the zombie apocalypse now? Everyone on their phones. Jesus Christ. Even my own friends. I hang out with them and sometimes I just want to get a baseball bat and beat the living shit out of one of them as an example to the others. (laughs) But seriously. Vote yes. What do you have to lose? English dominance? Is that such a bad thing? Take it from somebody that was even a former British colony. Egypt was a former British colony. Once we got rid of the British, which is technically you guys as well. (laughs) But if you vote yes, then you'll be outside of the blame game. Because if you are, by the way, you are aware that Scotland's got, I should get off the stage because you've got to go do your thingy now. But it's okay, our show is over. Uh, well, his show. Well, anyway, but come and see our show, Falafel, Homo, and Baba Ganoush. I'll be a bit more crazy and zany later on. Uh, I've been AK47. Thank you very much. Thanks for rushing That was brilliant. I was really sorry to rush that at the end, but it's fantastic. The, um, the, also, I like, I like that uh, point that... Uh, Remembering that there were Scots involved in the Middle East too, eh? um, uh, there's so many fantastic complexities. But that's great, and that um, uh, that brings us pretty much to the end. But one last thing to close us off. Let's welcome back to stage Jerry Campbell, please. Thanks very much. I want to finish with a very short song. Um, I depend on hope 
the simple belief that the future can be better than the present. I don't think we've reached a cultural zenith in our United Kingdom. I think that we can do better. And that's my hope that we do that. This song's called Hope. What a lovely note to end on. Thank you all very much for coming down to Bowie's. Please come down to the last Bowie's tomorrow and join in our sing-off. Thanks very much to all our guests. Enjoy the rest of your fringe. Thank you. So these are the sentences for show 23. Hang on to yourself, living with independence. And the sentences were, I depend on and I do not depend on start with I depend on. I depend on feeling that all voices are important and have a right to be heard. I depend on the Isle of Mull to recharge my batteries. I depend on alcohol. I depend on people generally wanting to get along with others. I depend on friendship and humanity. I depend on a suspension of disbelief in the possible. I depend on alcohol. I depend on music, but not Bowie. I depend on conversation, people wearing bright clothes, freedom. I depend on my glasses, I depend on coffee, my family, my eyesight, the bus service, friends, music. I depend on common sense, I depend on love and laughter, I depend on fresh chilies, I depend on the goodwill of others, I depend on the support of my loved ones, my income, some basic comforts and self-care, I depend on Richard Briers, I depend on hearing both sides, I depend on sleep, I depend on the kindness of strangers. 
I depend on my awesome family. I depend on the spirit of others. I depend on the love of my wife. I depend on the friendliness and common humanity of the people in Scotland. I depend on my family and friends and communities around me. I depend on laughter. I depend on family and friends and Prozac. I depend on good governance and strong social justice. I depend on love, kindness and fun. I depend on my family and friends. I depend on almost everything. I depend on my straight, white, able-bodied maleness sometimes. And I'm aware that I'm an advantage because of that. I did not earn. I depend on music to get me to work. I depend on my belief in the future. I depend on Scottish culture and identity. I depend on nothing staying the same. I depend on fish. I depend on not depending on what I don't depend on or what I don't want to depend on. I don't depend on being governed by people either in Edinburgh or London who don't know where I live. I don't depend on the news to be unbiased. I don't depend on alcohol. I don't depend on politicos trying to organise my life. I don't depend on war and innocent killing of innocent people. I don't depend on others' opinions. I don't depend on state handouts anymore. I don't depend on Tesco and Asda. I don't depend on my partner's ability to distinguish between left and right when driving. I don't depend on those plastic ring pools at the top of milk cartons. I don't depend on a car, a man, a weather, a government. I don't depend on political lies and empty promises. I don't depend on conformism and unreason. I don't depend on David Cameron. I don't depend on the honesty of politicians. I don't depend on a national identity or my British passport. I don't depend on laundromat dryers. I don't depend on Fox News. I don't depend on Facebook. I don't depend on the kindness of strangers. I don't depend on too much opera. It has its place. I don't depend on having lots of money. I don't depend on the weather. I don't depend on politicians, pollsters, polls, or even the pound. I don't depend on alcohol or caffeine. I don't depend on London. I don't depend on politicians and the union. I don't depend on being liked. I don't depend on jingoism, fear, and xenophobia. I don't depend on buses. I don't depend on being told what to think. I don't depend on nuclear warheads. I don't depend on salmon and I don't depend on absolutes, I don't depend on a man.